Greater than Bruno Fernandez signs his contract. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than part 2. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than Bruno Fernandez effect. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than in part 1, I had discussed how there were rumors of Bruno Fernandes being signed by Manchester United. However, finally after waiting 7 months, including an entire January transfer window, we finally signed Bruno Fernandes on the penultimate day of the transfer window. Despite our struggles in the league and the League Cup elimination, Manchester United fans, as always, at times to our detriment, forgot all about that, myself included, and we heralded the arrival of Bruno. Ever since we were linked with him, we followed his spectacular rise in the Portuguese league. He was sporting Lisbon captain and their talisman and was for a midfielder a very prolific goalscorer. We had high hopes for him, and he has delivered on them. The 19-20 season is officially split into pre-lockdown and the post-lockdown. For Manchester United fans, it was split into pre-Bruno and post-Bruno. He started quietly versus Wolves and then exploded versus Watford, Everton and Manchester City before the lockdown. His form entwined with Manchester United form continued post-lockdown. The post-lockdown sequence of games, much like when Ole was interim manager, were the best I have witnessed as a Manchester United fan post the Sir Alex Ferguson reign. I would argue the games post-lockdown were even better as we attacked teams constantly and made our way to an improbable third-place finish, that midfield axis of Bruno. Matic and Pogba, supplanted by the resurgence of Anthony Marshall, Rashford and the teenage Greenwood, were just brilliant in their displays. Even our defence held very firm. It was the best football I had seen for many years since 2013, and we blew teams away. The 5-2 demolition of Bournemouth was the highlight as that game we would have scored 7-8 goals. It all culminated in the victory of Leicester, which would secure the top four for us as we ended in the third position. Champions League qualification was confirmed, with it the potential to sign even better players and take Manchester United to the next level. Greater than as ever with the old reign, there were warning signs that rightly or wrongly defined Ole as a manager. Greater than firstly, we largely secured those wins by playing the same 13-14 players set as the games came thick and fast. We could name the lineup beforehand. De Gea, Bissaka, Shaw, Maguire, Lindelof, Matic, Pogba, Bruno, Marshall, Rashford, Greenwood. The time we deviated from it during the FA Cup quarter and semifinals, we struggled. Firstly to beat Norwich and then the loss to Chelsea. The loss to Chelsea also followed a pattern which would be in almost every defeat we have had. The opposition would press our defence high up the field, and we kept insisting on playing the ball out in time and again either made the wrong choices or just ceded possession very quickly. Our trend of being eliminated at the semi-final knockout stage continued. We lost to Chelsea in the FA Cup and then Sevilla in the Europa League. That made it three semi-final losses. Again I looked at it in the positive. We were regularly making it to the semi-finals. All we needed was to use these experiences to take that next step. I believed in everything Ole would say in press conferences that this team would take the next step, and we are in a process, and the fans have to trust him. I kept going back to the time, naively considering Klopp had won a league title over Bayern, Klopp took over Liverpool and built a squad over two to three seasons. They challenged the league in seasons two and season three along the way, winning the CL and then the league. I kept my hopes going into the pivotal season of 2020-21, where we had to win a trophy, either the FA Cup or League Cup. Get top four again and at least reach the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Greater than. 
Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than season 2020-21 vibes FC greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than Manchester United squad season 2020-21 greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than Premier League edition. Greater than this was the season to take the next step in our evolution under all. All was steadfast in his belief that this was the next step of the process, the fruits of his labor would be realized this season. Firstly it was the board's duty to back all entirely this season, even though the pandemic has reported hit the club hard. Our right side attack had a weakness so all identified Sancho. In the midfield, we lacked a CDM, so we would prioritize that and finally a striker to help ease the burden of Marshall as Igala was never going to challenge the status quo. Again the board failed to back Ole, which gave Ole an excuse further down the line. They gave Ole, VDB a player Ole did not want and was made clear just weeks into the season, tells his back up to Shaw, which worked out well for the season and a last mad dash for Cabani, who again wasn't Ole's first choice but was instrumental in us reaching the Europa League final. So no right-sided winger and no CDM were bought. Add the fact we had our captain arrested in Greece and that saga that followed. The season started with the team clearly unfit and what looked like not so well drilled either. For the second season in a row under Ole, Palace beat us using their physicality and deep block to spring a counter-attack. The positive was that VDB scored a goal, and I thought we finally had a midfielder who could pass the ball forward and score goals to help Bruno and our forwards. We followed the Palace loss with a fortuitous win over Brighton, supported by VAR after the final whistle had gone. Then the most embarrassing defeat I have witnessed till that season against the manager who we had sacked to appoint all, the irony. Spurs of all clubs could lord over us that they defeated and humiliated us 6-1 at our home ground of Old Trafford. Another nader was the 1-0 loss to Arsenal, which gave them their first win over us at Old Trafford since the season 2001-02. After that game, Ole had his job on the line again. That only meant one thing, and that was we were going to go on one of those famous runs under Ola's management. So began the unbeaten sequence of results which had 10 wins and 3 draws. It took us to the top of the league in the new year. It was the first time it had happened since the 2012-13 season when we last won the league title. I was on cloud 9, dreaming of title number 21. The performances we not outstanding, however, once you are top of the league, that is a moot point. The swagger was back in Manchester United fans. I watched every show on TV and streaming talking about Manchester United and the potential of title number 21 under a great ex-player. Bruno was the next Cantona, Maguire, and Baye was the next Bruce, Pallister partnership. Greenwood, Rashford, McTominay were the reborn class of 92. Cabani was this 2020-21 version of Mark Hughes, and Ole was the next Sir Alex. Even the Glazers were not enemy number one. Greater than all that, however, came crashing down back to earth on a Thursday late-night fixture at Old Trafford against Sheffield United. The same Sheffield United that had won just one game all season and were certain relegation candidates. Not only did they beat us, but they also outplayed us in the second half and deserved the win. All the euphoria melted, and we realized we were caught in that cycle again for the third time under Ola's stewardship. To rub salt in our wounds, Man City went on a title-winning sequence of results that by the time we faced them in, they were 10-plus points ahead of us. Once again, the cyclic run had begun post the Sheffield United defeat, which had us on a 14-game unbeaten run. That run was not as impressive as it looked as we had six draws in them, which ultimately, coupled with Man City's title-winning run, had them 10-plus points ahead of us, and they eventually won the league by 12 points. With the league gone by mid-April, 
the focus shifted to the Europa League. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than European and domestic cup edition. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than David De Gea and old Gunnar Solskjaer inconsolable post the Europa League final defeat. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than with the league in the midst of this Vives League season, the focus was on the cup competitions. We harbored ambitions to win at least the domestic cups and do well until the CL quarterfinals. Greater than the League Cup was first on the agenda. That run ended in another loss to City, which was 2-0 in the semifinals. This made it four consecutive semifinals lost under Ole. The FA Cup ended with a schooling lesson by Brendan Rodgers and Leicester as we crashed out in the quarterfinal stages with a 3-1 loss. We would at least not lose another semifinal which ironically would be harder to lose as we had Southampton in the semifinals. The Champions League campaign started brilliantly with a 2-1 defeat of PSG in Paris once again, a 5-0 lesson in counter-attacking versus Leipzig. All we required was to beat CL first-timers Istanbul Basakshir in the two head-to-head group games, and we would make it to the next stage of the CL regardless of other results. Another inept performance tactically from Ole and the players led to a 2-1 loss to Istanbul. We won the return fixture and required one pint in the next two games with a qualification in our hands. In the PSG game, we could have won, but Ole made a huge error in not hooking Fred off after his yellow card. Instead, Ole dithered on that decision and other substitutions as usual. The Leipzig loss was an utter farce as we went 3-0 down after Ole decided to switch to a back 5 when we needed to play a back 4 and adopt a similar game plan to the game we beat them at Old Trafford. He went ultra-defensive in his approach and only made changes midway second half when we were already down 3-0. We scored two more, but in the end, we were knocked out of the CL group stage after we had fought so hard to be in the CL last season. This was the second major point where even more sections of the fanbase turned on Ole. Frankly, I had started losing faith in Ole since this elimination. The next year we were back in the Europa League. This was a competition we had to win, and we were the favourites though it had Arsenal in it. Our nemesis Sevilla were not in it too. We navigated tricky rounds versus Sociedad and AC Milan. We got a tougher semi-final opponent in Roma. That game, if any before or since the game, encapsulated Ola's reign as Mouffe manager. The first leg we scored first looked dominant but made individual errors and were 2-1 down at halftime. This was the worst of Ole ball. Then the next 45 minutes were the best of Ole ball. 45 minutes of pure attacking brilliance, taking apart a slightly injury-hit Roma side, we scored four goals and looked like scoring a further two or three. Surely this meant we could rest a few players in the second leg or at least coast through that leg. De Gea and Cabani kept it from being an improbable comeback for Roma. Without them both, we would have conceded four or five and not scored any. However, they were there, and though we lost 3-2 after Cabani scored both goals to make it four goals in two games for him versus Roma. We made it into the final against surprise opponents in Villarreal, the small-town club from Spain with serial Europa League winner Emery as manager. I was confident we would beat them comfortably though our form going into the game was patchy at best. Greater than Maguire was missing from the squad, so too was Fred, but we had all other players fit and should have been enough to win the game. Ole went with his strongest lineup on paper. As a manager, I thought Ole would bench Greenwood or Rashford as an impact sub. He started them both, but by the time it was the 70th minute, we could see the game plan was not working. Emery began to make tactical substitutions to freshen up the team as they were settling for extra time and eventual penalties. 
All had no plan B and kept playing the same players and with similar tactical instructions till the players were tiring, and Villarreal also had a late chance due to the freshness of the players. I thought all should be bold and make the Henderson sub for De Gea as till this season De Gea had a woeful record at penalties. Surely enough, while our penalty takers were perfect, De Gea was very poor and didn't come close to saving any penalty. Eventually, his penalty miss was the final enduring image of our Europa League final loss. That loss I would blame entirely on Ole and his poor tactics, the non-existent effect of his late substitutions. The loss in that final was finally the last straw for me as a supporter of Ole, his vision and his managerial reign. Introduction to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the player. What can one say about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the player? I have been following Manchester United religiously since the 2002-03 season. My idol was always David Beckham, and he is one of the significant reasons I fell in love with Manchester United but little did I know that season he was at the end of his playing career at Manchester United. They say you may pick the football club to support, but it is the club that later helps you remain a fan even when there are greener pastures to come. However, quite noticeably, during games, I would hear Manchester United fans sing one name from the terraces, and that was a certain old Gunnar Solskjaer. I knew the club's history and had an eye on them right from when I was 10 years old, and that was around the 1997-98 season. View original post 2017 more words.